Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. It is time to bring the orange with two special guests today from the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. So I'm calling this one the Kubernetes Bytes Guys podcast. Bob and Shaw and Ryan Walner, gentlemen, it is absolutely a pleasure to have you. And as a fellow podcaster, I want to promote your program. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But first, let's get to know you a little bit. Bob, and I'll start with you, your technical marketing engineer on Portworks team here at Pure Storage. Welcome. Tell us about your time at Pure, how long have you been here, and uh, what do you love about it? Yeah, thank you so much, Rob. Like, uh, I'm a long-time listener of the Pure Report, first-time caller, so thank you for having <laughs> us on. <laughs> uh, for me, like, uh, as you said, I'm a technical marketing engineer on the Portworks team. I've been here for six months, closing on closing in on seven months, uh, like pretty new to Pure. Uh, but yeah, I've been having a lot of fun working on Kubernetes and our Portworks and uh, like all the different products that we have as part of the Portworks portfolio. Uh, so yeah, that's that's all good. And where are you geographically, just to give people a, a scope oh. <laughs> on where you are when you guys are recording your episodes? Where are you? Are you local Bay Area or are you somewhere else? No, we both of us are actually based out of Boston. So no way. Uh, on the East Coast. Uh, very cool. I just I just spent uh, a long weekend in Minneapolis with my best friend from college uh, who lives also in uh, in in Boston in uh, nice. back, back Bay kind of I think he's out that he works yeah. at uh, he works at Northeastern University he's in he's in athletics there so uh, awesome so I've got the Boston cool. contingent on here <laughs> Ryan Walner also technical marketing but you were actually at Portworks prior to Pure for a few years so I'm super interested in what that was like and what you, what it felt like when you uh, found out that there was going to be an acquisition but hey welcome man. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I appreciate you having us on. Um, yeah, I, uh, little do many know is that I've been trying to break through in this uh, market for quite some time. I worked at a company called Cluster HQ uh, with uh, Michael Franti, who's who's uh, my manager currently. The great, the great Michael Franti. Yes. <laughs> I love Michael Franti. And, um, and we, uh, we both worked there at cluster HQ all the way back in 2015, uh, basically doing storage and containers. Um, and it was too early. Um, we failed, we ran out of money, whichever way you want to put it. We were jobless around Christmas. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Good time. Um, I learned a lot. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I had a little bit of shell shock, didn't go back right into Portworks right away. Did a stint at Athena health over here in Boston, uh, built a container ecosystem and and things like that and then i said oh, i'll try again and uh really michael convinced me to come back <laughs> um and it was yeah it's been a journey and it was fast paced is really if i were to sum it up in a couple words it was very fast paced the entire time before you know you know joining pure uh in this, in this last year or so actually it's been about one year now right so <laughs> it, it is it is right around that time from a year ago and i have to say i, I do recall when they announced that acquisition you're one of the you're one of the guys I, and you can pat yourself on the back you're one of the guys i probably learned the most about because there were a lot of really good videos of you explaining what it, you know, for those of us that are app, app heads and server guys going way back into dinosaur technology, uh, this whole new, you know, 
I'm a caveman. I don't understand your crazy container world. You know, um, it was really helpful watching you do those videos and, uh, and, and you, you have a really good, good handle on everything. We also have some commonality. I was creeping on your LinkedIn profile <laughs> and, you know, it looks like there's some IBM connectivity. I was born in Poughkeepsie in the early seventies. My dad's did 35 or 37 years at, uh, at IBM. And it looks like you got similar connectivity. You went to, did you go to Marist? Do I remember that correctly? too pretty big roots there yeah. Um, yeah so i grew up right outside of poughkeepsie um my father is like is unfortunately still there um no or he might say fortunately or unfortunately yeah for i think 41 years now i did attend uh maris for my undergrad and uh worked closely with sort of the ibm program they had there i mean they funded a lot of the lab space in a lot of the buildings in marist and you know built racks of servers and gave us basically our own little data center to experiment um, where hopefully their goal was to get the talent to go back to, to IBM, which is a hard sell, I think, back back then to start having <laughs> us go work on ZOS. But um, yeah, I transplanted up to uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts about nine years ago or eight years ago, uh, which I spent some time at EMC. So uh, that's that's essentially what brought me up here. No, that's awesome. And you do have, it is kind of cool to see that EMC. I mean, you've got a little bit of hardware, a little bit of software kind of, you know, double threat thing. And then Bob and I was, I was creeping your LinkedIn profile too. And you've got grad school at North Carolina state. Yeah. I, did, I did my undergrad in, in North Carolina, the state as well, but not oh, wow. school. I went to the school in, in Durham right up the road. So gotcha. you know, nice little, a nice little commonality with you there. Well, let's, let's shift gears. Cause the main reason I want to have you on, I want to talk about all things containers and, and, and what you're covering in the podcast, but let's talk about the podcast upfront. Cause I noticed this when it came out, I was super excited. Uh, I love when there's podcast colleagues that have an idea and they want to just go roll it. And so I want to promote it. It's the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. You can find it on all the major platforms um, that are out there. And I know a majority of our folks use Apple Podcasts, but um, Bavin, what, what was the idea behind this? Did you guys just kind of you know, talk to each other one day and go, God, we have all these things we want to say. <laughs> People want to know about this. Like, What's your mission and charter for the podcast and why now? Yeah, it was kind of like that. So uh, as you hinted, right, Ryan has so much great content on YouTube, on the Portworks channel, like, and on blogs. And with the team growing, we thought, oh, what else can we do? How else can we educate people on what Kubernetes is or what what's involved when you're talking about storage and Kubernetes? And that's when we like, okay, let's just put something together. We'll uh, very get started in a very low-key manner. Uh, let's just have the both of us talking. We'll do a few episodes. Maybe then we can start bringing on guests to talk about data services, data management around Kubernetes. And we wanted to keep it like lightweight, uh, not very intensive, uh, a quick 30-minute format. Uh, we just wanted to make sure we cover uh, one topic in detail, but then also provide the community updates and with any vendor announcements that we or what honestly, like what we have been up to uh, as part of the podcast. So uh, I think we are going on strong, like five episodes strong. Uh, we should have a new episode coming this week. Uh, and this doesn't even include the pilot episode. So like six episodes, we are already veterans, <laughs> Rob. <laughs> it, it does take a little bit of discipline. I, I do joke with people that this is my hobby, right? This is not something a company actually pays me for, but it sort of follows you around. But it is a nice diversion. I actually find that I look forward to 
getting to know interesting people and hearing what interesting things they have to say. Um, Ryan, what have, what have you gotten out of it? You're, you're about five or six episodes deep. What are you enjoying about rolling out the podcast? Uh, and where do you, where do you see it going from here? Yeah. I, you know, for me, it's definitely a, it's a niche, uh, that really I wanted to dig into because there's so much content out there in the Kubernetes space and honestly, endless, um, uh, you know, news channels, uh, podcasts around Kubernetes as a whole. Uh, we, we really wanted to take the, the tact of, you know, Hey, you know, we live, uh, our day jobs, uh, all, all, you know, working with data, data services, data management. And we said, you know, let's, let's really just focus a podcast on that niche because there's, there's, so many, you know, people out there that are working on these systems or are going to be working on these systems that uh, really are going to take that sort of viewpoint. And, and so instead of trying to cover everything Kubernetes, which is so hard, um, uh, an impossible task, we sort of said, you know, let's, let's be in that Kubernetes space, but let's try to be practitioners um, and learn from others. Uh, and so it's, it's a way for our readers, uh, sorry, our listeners to really sort of get a, uh, a, a viewpoint on, you know, I'm going to learn something new today in this podcast. And that's our goal. I think everything that we do, whether it's a one-on-one topic or we're taking a, you know, a guest who's, who's lived in the trenches of data, data management. So. No, and I think that's great. And I've checked out a few of the episodes and what I do love is that it is, you know, relatively vendor neutral, right? It is, it is thought leadership -y, but sometimes thought leadership means non-technical, right? And so you're both, in this really cool, you know, chewy neutral area where you're just talking about the tech, but you both have chops, right? And, and you can dive deep into that space, which, which sort of leads me to, to the next topic I want to hit on because the knowledge around containers and Kubernetes of the listener base that I'm aware of is admittedly varied. Right. I know there's people out there that have are really well versed and, and understand it. I also know there's people like my parents who are going, what is this Kubernetes thing? Right. And so <laughs> there's somewhere in between. So to help with that and just and just take us back in time a little bit, get in the DeLorean time machine. What what was the world like before containers? Like what did development look like? What were the challenges? What were organizations contending with? Who wants to take it? I'm gonna just I'm gonna throw it out there. Shoot, Bobbin. <laughs> okay, Bob. Go, Bob. So, uh, like containers and Kubernetes, I, I don't think we need to go back like thirty years. Even nah. though I, I think uh, like Ryan's dad might have a different opinion that containers <laughs> existed before Docker <laughs> came around. But like, if you think about uh, the ecosystem that we are in today, uh, it really came to uh, like an existence in like 2012, 2013, around the time when Docker started to become a popular thing. Docker became a verb. Uh, everybody knew what Docker was. They started building those containers. And then eventually uh, people realize that they need an orchestration system. So uh, just not it's not just enough to package everything in a, a container, but you need something, some higher level system, a platform that can not just deploy it, but then also manage and scale those containers for you. And uh, we saw a number of different options out there, like Docker had Docker Swarm, we had Mesosphere, uh, Cloud Foundry, Kubernetes, uh, all of these different things. And then if you look to where we are today, you will see that Kubernetes has definitely become the de facto standard. Like all the vendors basically adopted Kubernetes as that as that platform, and then everybody has their own flavors of it. So, like uh, for people who were already running their applications in AWS, uh, 
Amazon had like they started from ECS, but then with Kubernetes they had to introduce Amazon EKS as well. Same right. with Azure, like Azure AKS, Google GKE. So now, uh, as you can see, like we have evolved. Uh, and again, I'll let Ryan talk about the storage pieces. But then, as an industry, as an orchestration platform, we are at a point where Kubernetes is the main thing. Like it's the starting point, and then you can start building applications on top and deploying things on top. Why did it become the thing? You mentioned Docker, and I'm, I'm thinking back to like 2015 or 16. I think I went to an OpenStack conference in, in Vancouver, and yeah, it was a fun trip to Vancouver. But I was walking around there, just you know, listening to these presentations, and and it was super interesting. But the thing I recall from the OpenStack pitch and 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 what was going on there it was it was all very hardware centric. Right. And so when we talk, when we talk Kubernetes, at least outside of, you know, what data services need and then kind of through to, to the, the hardware layer, it just seems like it was a much better position or better position because it was sitting in the application space. But I don't know, Ryan, why, why Kubernetes over some of the myriad of other things that were out there? Why did that become the predominant, I don't know, let's not say de facto or market leader, but just the most popular? Sure. Yeah. I, I think, you know, for me as well, before I was even working with containers, I, I worked a lot in the OpenStack space. And mm-hmm. so, you know, a lot of the config management tools, a lot of the abstractions that were within OpenStack are, su- are super powerful, right? And I think that is essentially what I view as the driving factor is the continued levels of abstraction on top of the uh, infrastructure, right? So OpenStack did a really good job of doing this with storage and uh, with the Cinder layer and uh, the Nova layer for compute and, and all those things that really took the uh, bare metal or, you know, ver- you know, infrastructure underneath and made it easy to consume. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Docker and containers did the same thing for developers. You know, I think the favorite, you know, saying back then was escaping dependency hell or something. Right. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Um, Sounds familiar. And, yeah. and while super, while super powerful, that really only helped the dude on the, on his laptop, right. Or the other lady on their laptop. And I think the important part there is that when you started to see this uh, uh, scale into how am I going to run this stuff in real life, in an organization, in an enterprise, in a data center, um, what does that look like? And, and so uh, that really was, people looked right back at Docker, the company, uh, you know, OG Docker, the company, <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, they started to develop those Compose and the Swarm applications. And it was, it was an obvious choice that people needed to orchestrate these things, right? How do I put these on many machines? Because this is a really powerful abstraction, the same way VMware did for bare metal, right? And I think this whole idea of getting these applications in, orchestrated on on top of, of systems is super powerful. Now, Kubernetes wasn't always the at the forefront, right? So like Mesos and Mesosphere, right? They were actually one of the more popular ones, uh, I want to say in like 2018, where, you know, they were actually ahead of the game. People, you know, I would say trusted where they were at for production. Um, I ran in production at a company I worked at um, and, and Kubernetes was still this uh, project, right? Um, and even though it had a lot of uh, a lot of promise, it didn't have that uh, that that sort of gumption behind it. And a lot of people were saying, like, "Oh no, is 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 it going to happen? What happened to OpenStack and and just be so solely fragmented and 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 all this stuff?" But it it really came forward as the way to orchestrate. And I think the reason it's done this it comes back to those abstractions. I think they did those in the right way, which speak to uh, how to run. 
things in production, right? It's not just a tool. It's like, let me make your life easier. And that's, I think, what Docker and Kubernetes did really well. Yeah. And I think uh, like one of the things that the community itself learned from the OpenStack uh, phase was we don't have to maintain everything as part of a single repository. Like we can move out storage plugins. We can move out networking plugins outside, just have a framework and, and not have vendors commit to that single code base and make it complex. Like Kubernetes is still lightweight with a lot of functionality uh, and all the vendors can just plug into it. So that, that really helped Kubernetes where, with, where like OpenStack had issues and it stopped at a certain point. Yeah. As, I mean, as part of generating an ecosystem, you want as many to be able to help it scale as possible. Right. So, I mean, make it easy. Um, but truly I think it's the one that's, that's crossed the chasm, right. If we can go back into kind of our B school terminology that, that puts us there, which let's lead us to today. So you're both in technical marketing roles, which I know are potentially customer facing. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is the scope of, customers' journeys today, right? And I'm sure it's a spectrum, right? Which is ranging from, we don't know where to get started or we have a mandate versus, uh, you know, I, I hosted a CIO summit a couple of years ago and the guy's like, yeah, I went and trained my whole staff to do containers with our legacy SAP environment. And I'm like, that's impressive. That's super cool. Uh, not something I hear very frequently, but Awesome, you know, way to go off and do that. So where, where are we? What are the questions people ask? Where do people want to get started? If they're already started, what are they running into? It's a, it's a big, giant, loaded question. But Bavin, um, <laughs> back to you, and then we'll see, we'll see what uh, what Ryan has on that. I'm interested in, you know, what are they saying? Yeah. Where are so it, it, it is definitely a spectrum, as you said, right? Like we have people that are getting started with the journeys. They are looking at like all the open source information, all the collateral that's out there from all different vendors. But then when they come to talk to us, they know that, okay, they have a basic understanding of what Kubernetes is, but then they are looking for help when it comes to storage. Uh, Okay, how can I, uh, like, if I get, uh, if I use any CSI plugin, why do I need Portworks? Or if I am looking at uh, deploying my stateful applications, how do I still make sure that, when that application is promoted to production environments, they still have that level of resiliency. Uh, How do I ensure high availability? How do I build disaster recovery plans, data protection? So some of those things uh, might not seem very obvious at day zero, but then as you are thinking about moving applications into production, you need those additional constructs around it. Like just because you moved from virtual machines to containers doesn't mean you can let go of backup or you can let go of disaster recovery. You definitely need those solutions. So that's where we see like people definitely need help getting started. But then there are organizations who have already taken a leap forward and uh, like trained themselves. They have started uh, creating or building some applications using containers. They are already deploying some applications in Kubernetes. And now they're looking for a way of optimizing it, making sure that those applications are production ready. So like it's a spectrum. Yeah, but it's a classic and it's a story we've seen over and over. I mean, again, I always date myself on this podcast, but I remember these same conversations and issues around VMs Mm -hmm. when in the mid to early 2000s, you know, well, can we really trust these things in production? We're just kind of using them for test dev and, and toying around over here. And then all of a sudden, yeah, it's, this actually is a way that's going to make our production environments more efficient and allow us to operate better. In this case, it goes beyond just IT in administration and goes into now you're actually having application developers speed up features and improvements and things that actually impact the business. Whereas VMs were, were you know, tended to be, in my opinion, more of an operational thing that certainly had a bottom line impact. 
Um, Ryan, what about you? Anything, anything to add on what Bavin said or, or pretty much aligned with that? And I guess the, the part I could maybe add on to that is, you know, how and where then does the, the story, and Bavin alluded to this, where does, where does the challenge with storage come in? Maybe we should navigate in that direction now. Yeah, I, I guess what I'll say is that you know a lot of the a lot of the success we've had uh, as a Port, Portworks team, uh, we realized that you know the 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 folks and the teams that were ready for uh, storage are were further along in their Kubernetes journey in their in their uh-huh. container journey, right? Uh, often the the teams that were either getting started or you know yeah they maybe they've been running orchestration for containers for some time, uh, but you know security and networking and and CI CD are sort of the first things to tackle rather than storage. Uh, often it's like well I'll just connect to this thing outside of this and we'll just connect you over the network right or um, uh, because it's what we been using and we're not hindered on trying to use it necessarily. Um, but it's when they get past the point and they start like feeling those pain points. So it's really um, a matter of having those those teams be able to uh, um, spread out that knowledge to the rest of the organization. So, you know, often there's a, a DevOps team, right, who know this stuff by the back of their hand. Um, and they're the ones building the infrastructure. They're building Kubernetes. They're they're uh, tying in the need for security and, and storage. And they're the ones we often talk to. It does not mean that every application team also gets what the whole storage picture and why it's needed is, right? So um, I think when 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 we when it becomes tied in is when the application teams are you know starting to really uh, develop uh, their their knack for writing applications deploying them on kubernetes and really using the platform uh, the devops teams uh, often feel the need for you know those extra bits uh, on how to scale and make things uh, secure and protected so that's when portworks really shines in the sense that um, you know when you get into that piece you start talking about well how do i provide high availability for these uh, applications in the container? Uh, how do I do backup and recovery for these applications in the container? And with those systems that are outside or maybe they're just you know pinning storage to nodes, it's, it's a very hard problem to solve as, you know, as the team. So then we usually get in those conversations and I usually will say that um, it's those pain points that drive um, the, the portwork success, right? Because we've thought, you know, we've thought through those, we've had customers go through those and Portworks is really a culmination of, of us helping with those specific problems. So double click a little though, why does storage then become the bottleneck, right? And maybe the application owners don't know or, or they don't care, right? They're, they're, they have no visibility into it, but they know when they have challenges or they know when it's not working quickly enough or they know when it's it's down and not available, right? So what, how and why, and it, it's a, maybe it's a rehash, right? Because I, I think I've covered this in other episodes, but it's, mm-hmm. it's worth reminding people on what, what is the essential challenge with storage with these things? Yeah, you know, in a Kubernetes sense, right, we're really trying to make it um, invisible to the application developer, right? If we're doing our job right, they won't know we exist. <laughs> right, that's right. Um, Take it right. for granted. 
um, uh, but I think the, the, the bottleneck really becomes when you move from the development environment to, you know, a scaled out sort of production environment and how do you run thousands of containers, um, with many, many data services in production, all sort of highly available and, um, and easy to manage from a DevOps team. I think from that perspective, if you, if the, the pain points really become obvious because when you're managing that level of scale now, now we're used to, um, you know, single, uh, you know, uh, compute servers or, or a bunch of VMs, but when you're talking about containers, it's thousands, right? Easily. Yeah. Yep. Um, and the right. li- and the life cycle of these things is very different compared to what uh, a lot of storage architectures were built for, right? We we often talk to customers about the conversation that's not storage specific. It's just that you know your storage needs to be built for the way it's being consumed and. If you're putting your applications in containers or in pods, those things are consuming storage differently. Meaning that it's the, the whole um, the whole idea of sort of uh, you know a few nodes being connected to those storage devices um, it, it doesn't exist anymore. These things are coming and going as they please. They they stop. They start wherever they want and. Uh, this, the storage infrastructure has to be able to react and and also provide the same level of uh, data services um, and high availability and all those things that you know they've been used to. Yeah, and to add to Ryan's point, right? It's also about consistency. Like Kubernetes, the one of the main key features is you can take your applications that are built for Kubernetes and you can run them on-prem in the public cloud, any of those public clouds, and build those hybrid or multi-cloud architectures. Uh, But if you're just doing it with Kubernetes, you have different storage backends in each of these environments. So on-prem, you might be using a pure flash array, but then uh, in the cloud, you might be using EBS or Azure disks, and you don't get the same set of features in all of these cloud providers. So if you have a storage layer like Portworks, you can count on the fact that we we will do all the heavy lifting for you and present the same set of features regardless of where you're running your application. So I can take an application that's running on VMware Tanzu on-prem backed by Flash Array, and I can just as easily move it to Amazon and consume EBS as the backend storage for my Portwork storage layer. So it's getting all of those same capabilities that Ryan described, but anywhere you want to run your application. So consistency is also a key. Yeah, consistency, portability. Um, the word that kept coming to mind, Ryan, when you were talking was ephemeral, right? If I can go to nerdy vocab, but you know, the concept of things being transitory or or existing for a short period of time or changing, that's that's kind of what I think of there. Um Bobin, since you went down the the storage rat hole a little bit there, you guys did an episode recently on cloud native versus traditional storage. What, what, what things did you flesh out with that? I mean, does it matter that much? Can you, can you do the things that you just articulated with traditional storage or cloud storage? And what are the big differences? What, for the user out there that is concerned about that or feels they might need to modernize, what is a CN, what does a CN storage get you versus a traditional? Gotcha. So like, obviously we did a a whole detailed episode around this, but then if we just talk about the key takeaways, right. Uh, in traditional storage, uh, and they follow a connector-based approach. So they, everybody has a CSI plugin that works with Kubernetes and can provision read-write once and read-write many, in, in most of the cases, volumes that your applications can leverage. But what cloud-native storage means, or CN storage, as you highlighted, was like we it's a storage platform that's built 
using containers and deployed using Kubernetes. So it, it runs as part of your Kubernetes cluster. It scales as part of your Kubernetes cluster. So if you need more storage, you just add nodes and we provision back in more backend storage for you. And again, going back to the consistency point, it's the same thing everywhere. And uh, another benefit that you get from it is uh, if you trust your Kubernetes to orchestrate, orchestrate your applications, you should also trust it for uh, deploying your storage platform as well. Like if we can provide the best set of features, we can iterate a lot faster. Like we can deliver uh, better replication algorithms or, or better performance out of the same storage layer quickly rather than having to wait for the backend storage to, like you, need, you don't need to buy a new array or you don't need to wait for the next uh, version of the software or the connector version to come out to leverage new functionality. So agility definitely plays a role when we are talking about like cloud native storage versus traditional storage. Got it. Um, thanks for the clarification and also good podcasting technique and not giving away all the information so that <laughs> people, I would encourage you to go pull up the uh, September 1st episode, cloud native storage and traditional storage. What's the difference? And I guess with that, before I ask you about the recent announcement, because we're recording this the day after launch, mm -hmm. uh, your latest episode, data management on various Kubernetes orchestration systems. Um, with Andy Gower. I love Andy Gower. He's, a, he's, he's jumped in and become a great extension uh, of our team, you know, planting and plugging everything Kubernetes into everything that we do, or we're getting there in, in most of the areas. But uh, Ryan, wh what was the gist of that episode in case we can encourage people to go check that one out with Andy? Yeah, so that episode really focused on uh, the the various uh, orchestration systems that are out there today. So if you're in sort of uh, this Kubernetes space, you'll know that there are a lot of different flavors out there uh, that you can choose from, right? So if you go to your uh, favorite cloud provider, uh, there's often one, right? EKS and AWS, AKS and Azure and GK and, and Google. And there's also a lot of on-prem options, Rancher, um, uh, OpenShift. Uh, one of the most popular ones that I think we see day to day is in fact, OpenShift. Um, Tanzu is newer, but uh, you know, from VMware, it's, it's really coming up to uh, a speed there, but I think the the whole episode was really that to to have folks understand what is different about managing data on these different systems, right? So if you're in EKS, um, you know, what are you going to get by default? Um, meaning that is there sort of a batteries included um, uh, play for the, that ecosystem? Um, and this changes, right? If you're in, if you're a SUSE rancher, uh, they have a product called Longhorn. If they, you're in EKS, they have something called, um, it, well, the EBS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it basically connected to that. Um, and, and this changes, right? Um, uh, with every orchestration system, and I think the 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 point there was really to illustrate that um, you're you're diff you're dealing with a different set of problems in this multi-cloud world. Um, and uh, while you may choose to look at those batteries included, that you might also want to sort of you know bring your own. Um, and that's I think where something like Portworks really shines. And and again, going back to these ab abstractions. Um, Portworks being built for containers, right? We we talk about the 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 term container granular a lot. Right. Um, a lot of these systems, a lot of these different orchestration systems, yeah, they do have a way to solve. Um, like, yeah, we can give you persistence, but at the same time, 
many of these aren't built for containers right from the ground up. And that's something that I think Portworx has really been uh, able to uh, do well. And, and so, yeah, I think that episode really just shined a light on um, how different you may have to attack a problem, uh, whether you want to take the batteries included mechanisms or look at what those orchestration systems really have to offer um, versus what you know goal, what business goals uh, your organization has um, from a cost perspective or a scale perspective and things like that. Yeah, really great approach. And I think it would be really helpful if you could just start with a cheat sheet for all the different acronyms about all the different... Uh, <laughs> all the different orchestration systems. Cause there's days where I'm just like, which KS is that? And this K, you know, it's just it's too many of them, but no, re really great point. Um, let's shift in just in the final moments that we have here, because we are a day after the launch and I got all geeked out because I saw things around database as a service and I'm kind of a, you know, recovering database head uh, <laughs> here, here at pure, you know, coming over from, from the evil red empire. Um, hey, Databases service, Portworks data services announcement. Were you guys super fired up to uh, to to have that come out? How interesting is that for you, Bavin? You wanna you wanna go first on this one? Oh yeah, like we were so pumped. Like we have been planning this for a while now, oh, and cool. just to align it with the overall pure launch event, that was perfect. As you said, like Portworks data service is like industry's first cloud native database as a service platform. So it is like, if you want to get into some of the details, right? Like a 100 level overview, it is hosted as a SaaS service or offered as a SaaS service. You can connect your target Kubernetes clusters, regardless of which acronym you choose. Uh, and Portworks <laughs> Data Service or PDS can help you deploy any kind of database on those target Kubernetes clusters. So like you, you, you have, a, as you said, like you have a database background, uh, but like it might be in a very specific uh, vertical, like it might be like MySQL or Oracle, like each organization. I think even at Pure, we have different SMEs for relational versus NoSQL databases. Yeah, yeah. so like not every organization at, uh, might have the scale needed to have experts or SMEs uh, for each database. So having a tool or a platform that uses all the different best practices uh, from a storage perspective, from a deployment a day zero and a day two perspective, uh, provision those data services for you. And you don't have to worry about anything. Like if you're a developer, this definitely offers a self-service access. Like I can just follow a simple wizard uh, deploy a database on my target cluster and get a connection string with, because that's at the end of the day, what I care about uh, as part of my application development. So I'm really pumped about this. No, it's super exciting. And I love the way you view the data landscape. It's almost, it almost is a disservice to, to use the term databases because really mm -hmm. we're talking data, data repositories and navigating more into the notion of, of modern applications or, you know, born in the cloud apps, because we're not necessarily talking about traditional relational things. We're talking about these cloud native databases, as you mentioned, MySQL and, and NoSQL and Postgres, but also then we start navigating into things that, you know, in, in, in our solution pillars live in the analytics space, but we start going into things like, like elastic and, and areas like that, it really gets interesting because you can, you can treat it the same way. Um, Ryan, what, what are the implications for, for modern applications here? And, and certainly the way that you all look at that part of the world from, from Portworks, this is huge. Yeah, it's huge. And actually, Bob and I just recorded a talk for Cloud Native Data, Data Management Day, uh, which nice. is 
co-located event, uh, KubeCon, uh, really that focus on the focus on data services as a service, right? We, yeah. we didn't call it database as a service because the reality is, to your point, uh, data services or data repositories are many things. And a lot of them are working their way into this Kubernetes space, whether it's Elasticsearch or Kafka or, uh, you know, Spark or, uh, you know, even even CI tools like Jenkins has state and, and, and can be classified as uh, a data service. So um, I think the, 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 the concept of how you consume these types of, of systems is the reality is you're going to have many of them. And I think our, the target is around uh, Portworks data services is changing the landscape because before we built, we brought you those building blocks. We know you can build uh, databases and service yourself. We know you can build a data lake. You know, we know you can build those data services, but it's still very complex, right? Kubernetes. Um, if anyone tells you Kubernetes simplifies things, they're lying to you. <laughs> There's a lot of terminology and, and moving parts. Still, uh, the reality is it can make uh, certain operational efficiencies uh, much more clear as you scale out. And and I think the idea behind Behind PDS is is hey you know these things are complex uh, we know it's hard to get right so let let us take these best practices that we've uh, uh, found through our customers and through our experience uh, at Portworks and provide them to you right and and I think that's foundationally going to change the way people consume things on Kubernetes um, and and we're you know PDS isn't the first thing to to really come out to to be able to provide things as a service on Kubernetes and it won't be the last. Um, but I think we're starting to see the transition of Kubernetes uh, to um, people are looking beyond it. They're like, no, you know, absolutely we're using it, but I need to put something amazing on it, right? I need to build something that's going to, you know, make uh, money for my my business. Um, and yeah. that's where people are looking. So we're, we're past the point where table stakes is good enough, right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. now about the evolution into a true business value, which is what we're all here to deliver. Well, congrats to both of you and the, the broader team at large at Pure and at Portworks, of course, for, for getting that out. And if you, the listener, want to get more details on what uh, Bobin and Ryan were just talking about, you can still go to purestorage.com slash launch and check out the announcement that also includes Fusion, right? Sort of related, very similar yep. <laughs> in uh, delivering, you know, autonomous storage as code, uh, service catalog based type of things that makes it really easy to operate. So you can see why those announcements were sort of piecemealed together. Well, guys, it's been an absolute joy to have you on. I feel like we just barely scratched the surface, but I also don't want to steal all the thunder of all your good it always, episodes. It always but, uh, feels that way. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I, 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 since this is a Kubernetes Bytes podcast, guys, or whatever it is, yeah. uh, we are coming out with a brand new episode the next day or so that... Cool looking directly at databases as a service and talking to Amer, uh, the product owner of PDS. So, well, that's awesome. I was going to ask what you had coming <laughs> in the pipe. So by the time I get this out, that episode will be live. So go and check that out. Anything else you guys want to pitch? I know the Kubernetes Bytes podcast is available on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify because I just use my local search engine to figure that out. But <laughs> uh, anything else that you want to pitch? I know you've got, uh, I think you got a Twitter account for the uh, for the pod as well. Hit that one. Yeah, it is just Kubernetes bytes. Like we are Kubernetes bytes everywhere. Like just so easy. <laughs> yeah. so easy. Branding is important in this podcast game, gents. You're learning it early on. Very good. 
That is excellent. Well, cool. And um, beyond that, you know, beyond uh, promoting that, definitely make sure that you go out and check out Portworks as well and the new Portworks data services. Guys, can we have you back on again another time soon? This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It was an absolute pleasure. And I hope you all out there enjoyed listening to the Kubernetes Bytes guys, as I'm calling them, using air quotes on that one. Uh, it was a blast. We will get them back. And please keep sending uh, feedback, share the show with a colleague, uh, keep telling a friend, and we will keep bringing the great guests like Bobbin and Ryan on. And with that, we'll wrap for Pure Storage, Bobbin Shaw and Ryan Walner. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you.